We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. What a shot that was from Matt Fitzpatrick. What a U.S. Open this was over the weekend. I think golf fans really enjoyed it. But that nine iron from a fairway bunker on the final hole in the final round, 137 yards. He said he had struggled with fairway bunker shots all year long. He knocked it onto the green. He two-putted. Will Zalatoris, who's been so close, missed a birdie putt that would have forced a playoff. And Matt, Fitz, Matt Fitzpatrick is your U.S. Open winner. A cool $3.15 million to him. Not live tour money, uh, but still pretty good money uh, for Matt Fitzpatrick, who wins for the first time in the United States. Uh, as a professional, he won the U.S. Amateur at the same golf course in Brookline, Mass., back in 2013. Uh, I've been a fan of his. A lot of you who are golf fans have seen this coming. He is a talent. Um, he wins. Uh, he beats Zalatoris and Scheffler by shot. Uh, Matsuyama by three shots. Morikawa and Rory McIlroy by four shots. McIlroy shooting a one under 69, nowhere near good enough. And then tied for seventh was Denny McCarthy. We've had Denny on the show before. I've had him on the radio show as well. Uh, Denny's a Georgetown prep grad, a UVA grad. He's been on the tour for several years. He's been knocking on the door um, for a win. And yesterday he was in contention. He went out three under in his first five holes had it to two under par he got as close as two shots from the lead he was you know featured for much of the day yesterday on the coverage of the U.S. Open Denny is going to be my guest here in a few minutes uh, and we'll hear about his round now um, I thought it was great. You know, I know a lot of people would have preferred, you know, Rory to make a big run or for Rom to be there. Um, if you're a golf fan, having the number one player in the world in Scheffler, having guys like Fitzpatrick and Zalatoris and Matsuyama shooting a 65 on the final day. Um, Morikawa had a crazy tournament, 69-66, then shot 77 in his third round, shot another 66. He was in the hunt. I think a lot of people were rooting for Rory to win for the first time in eight years, a major. It, he, he's a roller coaster, man. It's like you think he, you know, fired a 67 in the first round and maybe this is going to be it. Um, but uh, he just never really got it going yesterday to get in legit contention. Uh, it was a little bit softer yesterday, which allowed the scores to be much better than they were on what was a brutal third round. Windy conditions, we felt that here all weekend long. What a beautiful weekend um, it was here. Uh, but you've got some great young players, uh, and this is why the PGA Tour, if you're a golf fan, um, is still going to be awesome, no matter who jumps uh, to the Live Tour. Ab uh, Abraham answer the latest to go there, as if the PGA Tour is going to desperately miss answer. Uh, plenty of, of talented up-and-comers, um, and Matt Fitzpatrick gets his first win. It was great. Now, one criticism of the tournament, I thought NBC's coverage was brutal yesterday in, in particular. Now, I know they went uninterrupted for the final hour 
of coverage, but man, there were a lot of commercials. It seemed like every two minutes you were going to a commercial break. Um, I'm not a big fan right now of NBC's coverage in particular. I'm a big Tarico fan. Don't get me wrong. I'm not a massive Azinger fan. I think he's you know too cliche uh, driven to be a number one analyst. I loved Johnny Miller. I know that he was super polarizing, but I really like Johnny Miller on this coverage. Johnny would be critical. He would say um, what was on his mind sometimes and most of the time totally unfiltered. I think Dan Hicks does uh, a decent enough job. I thought that they shrunk the leaderboard from a full-screen Chiron uh, standpoint, not full-screen, partial-screen Chiron standpoint much too early. Um, They had decided long before – um, you know, uh, I thought it had been decided that essentially there were three or four players that had a chance. They were right as it turned out. I think they could have made it a little bit bigger. They used these animated NFL, well, football goalposts um, as, uh, as sort of a graphic on drive so that you could see where the players should be aiming, and then they used the tracer to go through that. I thought that was incredibly hokey. Um, there was a lot about the coverage. I, yesterday in particular was frustrating, I think, for a lot of people. Um, they got to pay the bills. I understand this. Um, it's an expensive product that they have. This is, you know, one. Th- this is, it, look, the Masters is, um, you know, I think probably the most watched. I would guess the Open is the second most watched. I, pr- I love the Open. I love the courses that the Open is played on. Um, and I thought that Brookline, the country club at Brookline, um, it being one of these kind of classic old city courses or close enough to the city course, not these big fairways with big greens, but small greens and big slopey uh, greens and you know downhill lies and side hill lies and narrow fairways. I thought it meant uh, but made for. Uh, tremendous golf television over the weekend. I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, Again, not thrilled with NBC's coverage, um, but I thought it was exciting, even though, you know, there was no Tiger, there was no Phil, Rory. uh, I think, you know, if he had made a move, that would have been a big deal. Rom really faded uh, yesterday, shooting 74. Um, You know, but the players that have been really coming um, were right there. Uh, And Denny McCarthy was one of them. And we'll talk to Denny here shortly about his round. But I really enjoyed uh, the U.S. Open over the weekend. Watched a lot of it. Hours upon hours of it. Um, There's Commander's News. And Howard Gutman's going to join us to talk about the back and forth between Dan Snyder and his attorneys and Congress Um, But there's other commander's news. ESPN's Jeremy Fowler earlier today on SportsCenter, so I guess that was this morning, uh, reported that Washington tried to intensify contract talks with Terry McLaurin last week, perhaps even hoped to get something done and have McLaurin report for the final day of minicamp, but no deal came to fruition. That was from Jeremy Fowler this morning on Sports Center. Well, on Thursday's podcast, at the end of the podcast, I mentioned to Tommy and to all of you that I had gotten a text message right before we finished up the podcast from somebody indicating that a deal with Terry McLaurin was more likely uh, than not going to happen much sooner rather than later. Um, the, uh, the quote I used was, this was not going to be a deadlines makes deals situation. Like it wasn't going to be training camp when this happened. It was going to happen much sooner. In fact, it was indicated to me that, you know, that it was imminent. Um, and I think what Fowler's saying is that the team perhaps thought it was imminent last week that they intensified their contract talks. Maybe that means they upped their offer and they assumed that it would get done and that Terry McLaurin might report for the final day of minicamp, which would have been a huge win for them. It's going to be a huge win for them whenever they get a deal done, and I think they will get a deal done. But the fact that a deal didn't get done just tells you that you know the team isn't where Terry wants to be or Terry's representation wants it to be. Now, I don't know if that means that Terry's just asking for something that's way too high or that the team, even after intensifying contract talks, are still way off or way low. I don't know what the, you know, the specifics of that. 
I am, and I'll say this for maybe the fifth time in the last week and a half, I'm skeptical that the team would lowball Terry McLaurin. I am skeptical about that. Uh, They need him. They traded for Carson Wentz. We know how big of a year this is for the team. Ron Rivera's told us that. Uh, The team two years ago offered Amari Cooper over $20 million per year. Uh, He stayed in Dallas, so it's not like they were cheap there. They've made big offers and trades for people like Matt Stafford and Russell Wilson. And by the way, you know, sort of overpaid considering the context of the situation for Carson Wentz. So I'm a little bit skeptical that with a guy like Terry McLaurin, who they love and who is a big part of the culture of, uh, you know, the culture change of this organization, that they would lowball him. Um, so that's my guess that maybe Terry's asking for a number that the team doesn't want to go to, and maybe the team intensified it by upping their offer significantly, but maybe it still wasn't enough for Terry. I still think this deal will get done. I still think he will be a Washington commander this year and not on on the fourth year of his deal. Doesn't make sense for him to give up. Um, you know, generational wealth with whatever the guarantee would be, you know, 50 million or 65 million or whatever they're, you know, quibbling over um, for uh, the risk of playing at $2.75 million or whatever it is and potentially never seeing a deal like that if he were to get injured or, you know, seriously injured. Um, I think it makes sense for him to come to a long term deal with this team. And I think it makes sense for the team to do it, which is why I would guess it will get done. But, um, I think the team last week, and I think the news that some of us probably got, was that the team was excited that they were nearing a deal in their mind's eye. But perhaps it wasn't reciprocated. We'll see. Stay tuned. Up next, Denny McCarthy was right there, uh, especially early in the day at the U.S. Open yesterday. Uh, you will hear my interview with him when we return right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What a U.S. Open uh, it was. Matt Fitzpatrick winning when Will Zalatoris's birdie putt on 18 just missed uh, left of the hole. Matt Fitzpatrick, the winner, first-time winner in the U.S. But for a lot of people here, uh, certainly in uh, areas of Montgomery County, we were all paying attention and watching Denny McCarthy's round. Denny um, has been on the show uh, uh, a few times before. Denny's a local, went to Georgetown Prep, went to UVA. He's been on the tour now for several years. And, man, you were in contention yesterday. It was so exciting watching. Um, and, and watching you at one point when the leaders were at four, you were two shots tied for three third I think you know I don't know if you went back or if you even knew this at the time I think that was as close as it got and was your highest standing on the leaderboard am I right or wrong I think I think you're right um yeah it was man it was such a cool week I just had so much fun um really proud of myself just amazed just how comfortable and calm I was in in that situation um really Honestly, I felt like I played well enough yesterday to win the U.S. Open. Right. That's kind of the mindset I wanted to have going into the round. I just wanted to, you know, not, you know, I just wanted to put up a winning performance was, was kind of my mindset. Like, I, you know, I just wanted to go out and put up, like, something something great. Like, I just wanted to do something cool yesterday. And I had that mindset, and I, I hit the ball great and, and putted well, too. I just, 
was kind of a hot putter away on the weekend from from being just right there. Ultimately, I was just probably just a, a, a few shots too far back to, to, you know, really make a splash. But it was, you know, I was right there in the mix of it. I, you know, got off to a great start yesterday, three under through five, and, you know, put myself right right in the thick of things. So that's, that's what you want. Um, so much fun this week and uh, just really proud of how I handled myself. Denny finished um, one under par. He, he bogeyed 18. We'll talk about that hole because uh, they followed you on NBC all the way down the stretch because you had a legit shot to get to three under where Hideki was, you know, and in the clubhouse um, with the lead. And when you were hot early, there was a lot of watching Denny on TV. To be honest with you, we all watch, you know, a week in and week out. And when you when you're in the hunt or you're playing well. Um, I, I think yesterday at the Open was as much TV time as you've gotten. I don't know. I mean, this isn't something you keep track of. Everybody else does. But it was awesome to watch. Denny, for those that don't know, finished um, tied for seventh um, after bogeying 18. It's a top 10 finish, his best finish ever uh, at a major championship. So you kind of talked a little bit about what it was like to be in the hunt and how comfortable you were. But let's just go to yesterday morning before your, before your tea time. Time. First of all, at you know plus one, which is where you were, and I think tied for eleventh. What did you think the number was that you were going to have to shoot to win? Um, I, you know, I didn't really come up with the number, but I figured there were so many guys, you know, top players towards the top of the leaderboard. They weren't all going to fall back. You know, I, I figured it was going to hang around five under, which it, which it did. So I wasn't really thinking about that number you know, in my head, I was just, like I said, I was just trying to go out and with a, with a great mindset to just execute every shot and, and not be scared and just kind of just, just really commit to every shot and make a nice, a nice committed swing on every, on every shot. And I, I did a really good job of that yesterday. And, um, like I said, I mean, I, I had a lot of putts that, that didn't go in a couple, couple momentum swings or middle of the round, almost make up, 30 footer for birdie on nine and then missed a shorty coming back and then almost make one on 10. So instead of picking up maybe one or two, I dropped one, which was kind of costly at that point in the round, but I played, get myself a lot of looks on the back nine to, and, you know, try and give myself a chance. And, um, you know, that's what you want. You want to have a chance on the back nine of a major on a Sunday. And obviously I haven't done that in a major championship before. So that was a really cool to just, see how comfortable I was in that spot and you know I'm really looking forward to getting right back in that position you know you are and for those that that follow you we know this you're one of the best putters on tour and so do you ultimately attribute um you know this this weekend to basically you putted well but you didn't have a hot putter that uh that that a hot putter for you would have legitimately given you a chance to win this thing Oh, 100%. I mean, I, you know, I, I hit the ball well enough this weekend to, to, to shoot four, five under both days. So, I mean, I'm not disappointed with 68, 68 on the weekend of a major, but, I'm, and, and it sounds weird saying for me that it could have been a lot better because my ball striking was that good, but it, it really was. I feel like it could have been a lot better. Um, but that's, you know, that just shows that, I can do more than, than putt, you know, like my, my, my game is in, in really good shape right now. I can, I can, I can play and, and ball strike my way around a, a hard golf course. And my ball striking was really the, the main component that, that kept me in it all week. Um, so I'm really proud of just how I, you know, committed to a lot of hard golf shots and executed a lot of them. I, I ran into your Uncle Mike Saturday morning, and he said that Friday, your 70, should have been a lot better. You just made the cut at plus three. You shot 73 in the first round. You shot 70 in the second round. You parred 18 in the second round to make the cut. Now, I don't think you knew it uh, necessarily at the time, but was fr- of the four rounds, which was the round where you hit it best, and if you had had the hot putter, you would have scored a lot better i mean really i hit a great i mean i was five over through 15 holes on thursday um and then i birdied my last two holes on on thursday to just shoot three over um 
And honestly, I, I played very similarly on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. I hit it. I hit it great all three of those days. Um, let a few get away from me each of those days around the green. A um, couple wedge shots that I would have liked to hit maybe a little closer, and a, a handful of putts that um, you know it's not like I putted bad. It's, the greens have so much slope um, that it's hard to be. Uh, perfectly dialed in. I mean, I hit so many putts that, you know, burned the edge, flipped out, just ran out of speed, maybe a touch too much speed, but just so many putts that touched the hole. Um, it was, it was frustrating to see. I, I mean, I made some nice putts too. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I made a couple decent length putts and some shorter ones with a, with a lot of break and touchy ones down the hill. But, you know, I, I do that all the time. So it's like a, you know, I, I expect some of those to go in and I, and I was, I was maybe looking for a few more here or there to kind of just give me a little more of a momentum boost. But, um, man, I mean, it, it just, I played so well. Um, I, I'm just, like I said, I'm looking forward to getting right back in, into that spot because now I know, uh, I can compete and win majors. I want to ask you about the 18th yesterday. First of all, you know, th- there was a, th- th- there, there was a gallery, or, gallery around your approach shot, um, and it was kind of cool to see, you know, just you with a, a, a massive gallery around you, and you certainly, you said it at the very beginning of this conversation that you felt totally comfortable, and you looked comfortable um, out there, but what was it like, especially, you know, it's a U.S. Open in Boston with the kind of sports fans Boston has, what was it like, you know, being out there in in that scene? Uh, I mean, so cool. Um, I mean, I grew up going to, you know, with my dad and my uncle Mike and my brother and a couple of my, my dad and uncle Mike, a couple of their friends. I grew up going to a bunch of the East coast U S open. The first, you know, we always drove up like first thing Thursday morning and stayed through Friday, you know, Pinehurst, Oakmont, Wingfoot, Shinnecock, all those opens. Um, we went till, you know, the first few days. So, you know, I, I, you know, loved that atmosphere when I was a kid like you know I was you know I was a kid and you know in the gallery and you know standing around the players at that time hitting those shots so it's just like you know me hitting you know these big time shots with the big time crowds around me is cool I mean I was exposed to it at a young age and you know I'm a huge competitor and I love sports and like you know that doesn't get much better than that for me you know I'm I'm contending in a U.S. Open, and I got crowds cheering my names and a ton of people following me, and, um, you know, I love it. I, I love being in that spot. Yeah. Uh, people that have listened before have heard me say this about you, but for those that are listening for their first time, Denny was a hell of a high school basketball player to boot. Um, I wanted to find out about the um, – you know the eight to the shot on eighteen. That looked like a really difficult lie. What, what 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 was it? What did it look like to you? And you were you were legit pissed um, after the shot. And I I could tell you wanted to get in there with a par and 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 at least be at at two under. What what, what did that shot look like? Yeah, the second shot is really tough. Um, you want to be in the fairway coming into that green. Uh, obviously, I had a somewhat of a clean line in the in the right rough right. kind of matted down gallery grass it was kind of hard to tell if it was going to come out jumpy or or spinny um and that's you know that's the penalty you pay for you know missing the fairway it, it kind of becomes a guessing game and then you need to be thinking about where you want to leave it if you if you don't pull the shot off and i was trying to my line was trying to hit it on the tongue of that bunker and if it comes up short it goes in the bunker if it goes over the green or if it lands on the green, it, it might go over the left side, which gives me a better angle for my short game shot. Um, and it just happened. It I happened to land in that tongue of the bunker and kind of end up in just a, a just a, a really guessy, dodgy lie um, in some of the fescue on the face of that bunker. So it ended up in a pretty unfortunate spot. I hit a much better shot for, for it to end up there. But, um, you know, like I said, that sometimes that's the price you pay for missing missing the the fairway uh, in a U.S. Open, and um, it was kind of a guess chip shot. I had to err on the side of caution. I didn't want to hit it too soft and leave it there, and you know, end up making a six or whatever. Right. Um, so I had to make sure it was a professional guess. Um, 
if you if you will and you know it didn't it came out a little hotter than i expected and um you know disappointing to end, end up with a bogey but it was still such a fun week were you scoreboard watching at all uh or was your caddy telling you you know um, when, when you it, got to 16 17 i think hideki was already in at that point at three under yeah i knew i was you know i saw myself i knew i was at two and i knew those the the guys leading were at five and it wasn't it was playing hard but not hard enough where they were going to make you know a couple bogeys i knew i needed to make some birdies and at least get to four under maybe five under you know ultimately obviously it ended up being six under um and you know i just i kind of ran out of holes obviously at the end but i I mean i gave myself so many chances in the in the middle and middle of the round that i just didn't convert on um and there was just i think i was just a couple shots too far back to start the day it was obviously seemed like i was right in the mix once i got off to that good start i just it was it's hard to kind of keep that going just playing a handful of tough holes yeah that Uh, that was that was awesome though the start i mean to be three under on the day through five and you know to have it at at where you had it at at two under par and to be you know right there and being talked about was really cool we are talking to denny mccarthy denny finished uh tied for seventh at the u.s open over the weekend part of the story was the golf course what was it like to play it it's just it was unique i mean a lot of we don't play courses typically that have that many blind shots um and just a lot of greens had so much slope they had to put pin, <clears throat> pins in really really similar places on on a handful of the holes just because there is no other places to put pins <clears throat> so in that regard um you know i i thought they set it up very fair because they could have gotten carried away on some of those greens and maybe tried to mess around with like a hard pin, but maybe it would have crossed the line. So I thought they did a good job of kind of setting up the course. Very hard enough golf course. They set it up very fair. It was, it was still a great challenge. Denny's going to play at the travelers this weekend in Connecticut. So was there a call or a congratulations from somebody that sort of stood out after yesterday. And I know you didn't win and you wanted to win, but still the tie, the tie for seventh was, you know, a, a, a huge step for you. Did you hear from anybody that would, that would be interesting to those that are listening? Um, no, just, a, just a bunch of family and friends. I had, I had a, a lot of texts um, that I've, I think I got back to everyone last night. Um, it took me took me a few hours to get to get through everyone, but just a lot of family and friends close to me, um, just telling me how proud they were and they they really enjoyed watching and how comfortable and calm I looked. Um, all all encouraging things. Um, so I'm 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 very blessed and thankful. I have a great support system behind me and uh, people that believe in me. Congratulations. It was fun to pay attention to and follow and then really be able to watch, you know, over the weekend, especially yesterday morning and yesterday afternoon. You're you're going you're going to break through. I think everybody feels that ab- about you and yesterday was a big step uh, in that direction. Really appreciate the time, Denny. Best of luck. Uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks, Kevin. I appreciate it. Up next, Howard Gutman will be on the show. We'll talk about the back and forth between Dan Snyder and his attorneys and Congress. We'll do that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. However you're listening to this podcast, if it allows you to rate or review or both uh, this podcast, if you don't mind, um, spend 30 to 60 seconds and do it. It's a huge help for us, especially on Apple and Spotify. Apple allows you uh, to rate us uh, up to five stars. That would be great. And a quick one to two sentence review helps out uh, as well. Joining me now is my friend Howard Gutman. Uh, Howard was the ambassador to Belgium during the Obama years, and he was a longtime prominent uh, D.C. attorney. Howard has a radio show on Richmond's 1140 AM and 96.1 FM. It's called As I See It on Saturday mornings from 10 to 11 AM. You can listen to that whenever you want by downloading the Odyssey app. Uh, You can listen to my radio show on the Odyssey app as well. Howard joins us right now. So 
over the last week, Howard, there's been the, you know, response by Snyder's attorney to Congress about this uh, June 22nd request for him to testify. Goodell is going to testify via Zoom. Uh, Snyder got back uh, to Congress uh, giving a list of reasons as to why he couldn't do it. Then Congress responded, and then Congress responded again early this morning. I'm just going to let you take it and explain um, everything that's happened really here over the last week and catch everybody up to speed, and then uh, we can you know, we can have you predict uh, some of the things that will happen as well. So, Kevin, we've seen all of the dancers give their best pirouette, and we're just waiting for the final curtain so they can all come out, having played their roles, take their bow, and get their standing ovation. Um, because this has really been just a, really a preset drama, except it's more like a comedy, um, which is Carol Maloney is, you know, in a heated race uh, this year. Her district got um, cut, cut up, and she has a a 30-year Democratic opponent uh, in the primary. Um, and she is really focused on the female vote because she's running against a male. Um, and this is a good topic. Sexual uh, misconduct in the workplace, in men's football, it was a good topic um, on the Black Lives Matter world. It's a good topic uh, on sexual harassment. And there is no better, better, better whipping boy than Dan Snyder, who has nobody to blame for that for themselves. I don't want to be too facetious. There was a horrendous workplace environment. Um, people need to stand up and take responsibility. Um, to their credit, um, n- not to their credit, Dan said, oh my God, look what happened when I wasn't that involved. Someone call Larry Michael and Bruce Allen and find out what happened. But now I'm here and I've brought in the highest woman in sports. I've brought in the, the highest uh, black in sports, general manager, president of the team. We are now a model. Uh, in any event, though, the House realized that um, when they started this investigation, they were getting good publicity. The only thing better would be to get Roger Goodell and Dan Snyder in a chair and, and you know, bark at them. Um, uh, and yet, to, to actually do this right would have been too, way too difficult. Um, so they sent a letter. They made their posturing, their initial letter from the House Oversight Reform Committee, um, telling why he should be there. Uh, the problem is it used to be good in the good old days. It used to be easy to avoid these kind of things because busy executives could be out of town. Uh, we know Dan spends the summers, particularly before training camp, on his boat. That is why our team was the final two names for our team was the commanders or the admirals, because <laughs> Dan is the commander in chief on his boat. That's your theory. Um, and so we know we know he spends that uh, in that that period. These these six weeks in the south of France on his boat. And so that would normally be, boy, I'd love to testify, but I'm busy. Dan responded back to the letter, I'm busy on commander's business abroad, which was so silly. Uh, He always has to go that extra yard. What commander's business abroad was Dan Snyder? Was he looking for Samus Reyes's childhood roots? Like, what could that be? He's on his boat in the south of France. I guarantee you, that trip is not paid for by the commanders. It wasn't a business trip. And if it is paid for by the commanders, let's get an IRS investigation going. Because he's on the boat in the south of France. Supposedly there's some award they're picking up. Well, I'm sure the award was arranged when he'd be on the boat in the south of France. But the problem with Dan's position was, first of all, if he has to make a meeting in Washington, he gets off his boat and he flies back makes the meeting. I assure you, if the governor of Virginia wanted to talk about how much money Virginia could give for the new stadium, Dan would fly back for a day or two and then rejoin his group off the boat. So he obviously wasn't going to do that for the House Oversight Committee. But now we have the modern world of Zoom. Now, I didn't think the House Oversight Committee would accept Zoom because there's no better television than having them there sweating. Uh, with their face, you know, sitting there on the camera while the person, while the questioner is higher, uh, higher above them on the, on the podium, on the bench above them. But they were willing to take Zoom, which means Dan had no out. Having no out, he paid Sullivan and Cromwell, Dan's lawyer is a terrific lawyer. I suspect she, Nancy Pansimor probably bills at least 1500 an hour and maybe 2000 an hour. And she did her best to say, 
this process is not fair. Why? You just say, well, we don't know what you're going to ask. We don't know well, that's the point. So he had a rather weak response. So Carol Maloney said, oh, boy, that was so weak. Why don't we make him look bad? Why don't we write back? The problem is I actually think in the letter back, the House made a mistake because instead of saying we urge him to give his evidence, they said if he doesn't appear, uh, he can't take responsibility for the environment he created. They convicted him in the letter that they were urging him to come back. And I would have taken, I don't, I haven't seen the letter back. I've seen them say, we're not showing because the process is unfair. But she, they did overstep. If they're having a hearing, they've already tried and convicted them already. Right. Uh, so in any event, yeah. Dan isn't showing. Boy, that, that's an interesting point. Like, first of all, that's not what these, you know, him coming to testify is supposed to be about. Um, and yet they, they've already uh, created the, um, the, the, the judgment on, on their behalf that he's guilty before he arrives. So would you have responded to that with, well, you've already shown your bias. We're not going to come and, and testify. I absolutely would have. And the reason I would have is one of your questions will be, well, what about the subpoena route? Now, first of all, the subpoena route, obviously, if you're in France, it takes months and very limited reasons for why a French magistrate would issue a subpoena uh, when requested by the Justice Department to the French magistrate. That would have taken months. That's not happening. But Dan eventually will have to come back to the shores uh, of the United States, because his football team will be playing football eventually. Um, and it, would they be willing to set a new hearing? Would they be willing to do it all again? Could they get the time? Could they get the dates? Probably not, but let's say they would. If they subpoenaed him, the next step would be the attorneys would move to quash the subpoena. The media generally believes, oh, they only sent a letter, but if they sent a subpoena, that's sort of like a magnet. He would have to be attracted right to that seat in the Capitol. No, the subpoena says we have the right under law to require you. That's just a different ballet. In that case, the attorney then moves to quash the subpoena. And the line that they did there, um, convicting him of this, really undermined two things, that they were doing fact-finding for sexual harassment in the workplace right. and that they are not doing this as a as an indictment of Dan Snyder personally. And that letter no longer sounds like that. So uh, I would then, I would then move to quash the subpoena. Whoever wins that round, you move to appeal. Whoever wins that round, you move for a stay to go to the Supreme court. You get the picture. The season's over long ago. Um, and Cara Maloney is not, not in the majority, uh, come January. So, Subpoena's not happening, Dan's not happening, but Roger Goodell is coming, or at least on Zoom. Yeah, I, I, we'll ask, I'll ask you about the Roger Goodell thing um, on Wednesday, and he's agreed to testify via Zoom. What was, just going back to what you kind of brought into the, equa- uh, into the conversation, which maybe many of you who are listening knew that that's what the letter said. It had sort of convicted him of being responsible for the uh, workplace environment when, in fact, what they really were looking to, to have him come testify was to, you know, kind of help them on some of the things they've been working on. I mean, Maloney introduced two pieces of legislation uh, last week based off of their investigation into the commanders. Um, one thing called the Accountability for Workplace Miscon- Misconduct Act and another called the Professional Images Protection Act, which actually stems from the allegations about these videos of the cheerleaders being made for Snyder, et cetera. But what was the, do you have in front of you that letter from last week and the line that specifically kind of overreaches or, you know, kind of shows their bias towards Snyder? I'm just curious specifically as to what it says. The letter said, in light of these accommodations and the importance of Mr. Snyder's testimony, I urge Mr. Snyder to reconsider his decision to decline public testimony, and by doing so, here's the key language, refusing to accept accountability for his actions and the culture he has fostered within his team. So they already said he's refusing to accept accountability for his actions and that he fostered the culture. And, you know, as the lawyer, I would say, 
hold on there, as Quickstraw McGraw used to say, hold on there, we're not there. We've never said that. Um, maybe if you had a real mensch witness, you know, which is not Dan Snyder, but could be Goodell, if you had a mensch witness, you would say, look, of course I didn't know people were abusing the calendar, uh, you know, with the cheerleaders and the photos. And I would have fired people in a minute. But the buck stops with me because it's my team. I should have known. I take full responsibility. Those words cannot come out of Dan Snyder's mouth. So that's not going to happen. <laughs> right. But, but that's what could have happened. Boy, that really, I mean, going back years now, if he just at some point accepted responsibility and said, um, you know, as as Harry Truman once said, the buck stops here. I mean, I, I, at least he he wouldn't he wouldn't be so despisable, which he so despised, which he is. But that's the problem: is it's never been his fault. I mean, you just reminded me, and I mention this a lot, and I understand this. You, you early in your description of what's going on currently, you know, said, well, you know, it was, that was Bruce and Larry Michael, you threw Larry's name in there. And again, 80% plus of all of these accusations, allegations, and what Beth Wilkinson was investigated, uh, investigating happened before Bruce even got here. They happened, you know, prior to 2010 when Dan was supposedly super hands-on. And that's the part where I would say to to them, if they ever asked me, stop pushing this narrative of you weren't paying attention and, you know, it was kind of Bruce's fault. They're talking about things that happened before Bruce ever got here. Nobody seems to be nailing them down on that, which is uh, very interesting to me. All right, so you've explained the subpoena... Kevin, yeah. if he was a different kind of owner, if he was a different kind of person, a different kind of man, he would have been the most horrified to hear about the photographs. He wouldn't have needed Deborah Katz to file 20 lawsuits. He wouldn't have needed the League to call for an investigation. And he certainly wouldn't have needed the Hill to call for the investigation. He would have been horrified. He would have let it uh, and the like. But if that were him we probably would have had four Super Bowls in the nicest stadium in the world. It's just not the man. No, it's not. Um, this is the thing uh, that we have learned about him. There is an insecurity. There is a self-absorption. There is, um, you know, and I've described it this way so many times, but he's unwilling and incapable of admitting that any of what's happened over the last 22 years has anything to do with him. You know, I, I know when the Wilkinson investigation came out and when the $10 million, you know, so-called fine um, was levied against the team, there was some written, um, you know, a reflection, some mention of remorse, but for the most part, it's just never been his fault. All right, so you've got us up to speed with everything's going here. The net of it is he'll never, ever appear in front of Congress, unless they were to subpoena him and the Democrats were to somehow hold on to the, the, uh, the House in, in November? They would need to subpoena him. There would be a year of litigation to quash that subpoena. So we're now talking 2024. And then in 2024, anybody would have had to be focusing on this still, and the Democrats would still have to be in office. Uh, and Karen Maloney would still have to be in Congress. Uh, so nothing is happening uh, in our immediate future in the next year of Dan Snyder testifying about workplace misconduct. All right. What happens with Roger Goodell on Wednesday? So this is fascinating. I think conventional wisdom is he's there to deflect and he's there to say it's attorney client and the like. I don't believe that. I think we've seen a lot from Roger Goodell that has surprised me. Like, for example, with the Black Lives Matter and the Colin Kaepernick, he, he did the owner's bidding for a long time uh, of saying, you've got to go out for the national anthem, you can't kneel. And then at one point, he finally, after, after uh, George Floyd, he finally said, you know what? We were wrong. And he made a long um, videotape saying that the players were out ahead of us. They had the moral, the moral conscience. They, they understood these issues. We were late to the party, but we're here now. 
And I think you might see a lot of that right now from Roger Goodell. He will probably say, we aren't the only industry, the entertainment industry, the music industry, where um, where respect for gender was, did not um, did, did not meet proper standards. Uh, so we were late to the party, um, but we are on top of it. We investigate them with the very best. We look all the time uh, to see it, and we have increasing standards, increasing ethics officers, and you're seeing a different um, NFL. Um, you're seeing the differences in dance squads and cheerleaders. You're seeing understandings. Look at Deshaun Watson. Um, you know, they're going to push for a year probably. And he's going to say, we're not there yet, but we continue to try to do better. So if he defangs the tiger, uh, you don't get bit if you either defang the tiger or hide from the tiger. And he might try to defang the tiger, not just hide from the tiger. Okay. Well, will Dan Snyder be a part of the defanging of the tiger? So here's the the one issue, which is, what about the Wilkinson report? And I suspect what he's going to say is there is none written. That was because at the time, uh, that was the the consensus for the people whose uh, Denny's were being were involved were were there uh, were at, were at issue. We made that decision. But what I did was, I came out in no uncertain terms, condemned the organization for rampant impropriety and fined him $10 million. Uh, and we were certainly not soft on on the Redskin organization whatsoever. So Roger Goodell needs, that is the one hard issue. What did Beth Wilkinson say about Dan Snyder and why was there no report? And before they agreed to appear by Zoom, Jeff Pesch, the general counsel of the NFL, and Roger Goodell and their public relations squad reviewed that answer many, many times. Uh, Kevin, you cannot believe how protected that organization is. Jeff Pash is a 40-year friend of mine, and I have a Saturday morning radio show on on the Odyssey app on, in, yep. in, Richmond. in Richmond. And Jeff had agreed to be Jeff had agreed to be a guest on my show. I have a 15-minute guest each week, and by the time every question got vetted by the NFL staff, really? Jeff just said, "Howard, it's just easier not to come on." So I assure you. That Beth Wilkinson answer will be perfectly um, choreographed, perfectly tailored. But beyond that, I suspect you'll see a contrite Roger Goodell saying, we can do better, and that will help, that will help the owners. Now, he has some other issues. Mark Davis, uh, for the Raiders, for the Vegas Raiders, he has these same allegations right now. And that's Mary Jo White. Uh, Jerry Jones has allegations. The the, ph- the photography in their cheerleaders' room and the firing of a longtime, well-respected club official. Um, but he's going to say we get the best to investigate fully. We don't prejudge the facts, but we are not we are not lax when the facts show that there was wrongdoing. And I think you'll see a contrite and helpful Roger Goodell with some heat about Dan Snyder. So, wouldn't one of the questions of Goodell be? What did Beth Wilkinson recommend based on her findings? And since we suspect the answer was that Dan no longer hold the club, um, Roger's going to have to say, uh, we asked her for the fact investigation. Um, the way we operate as a league is it's 32 owners. We get the best fact investigation. The determination should be a $10 million fine, a $1 million fine, a termination. That's, that's pursuant to the owners of the league um, who, who own this franch- these franchises. They own NFL football. Um, and so um, any recommendation by Beth would have been a personal opinion. But this would be the opportunity, would, would it not, to – isn't it true, Mr. Goodell, that Beth Wilkinson recommended that Dan Snyder be forced out as owner of, of the team? Why didn't you take her recommendation? I mean, to almost state it as fact. Right. I agree, and that would be great. If I was answering back, if I prepped him, I'd say, actually, there was no call for the recommendation of punishment. She may have expressed personal opinions, and I, I do believe – she thought it would be appropriate, but that determination goes to the owners. Um, there are a lot of other considerations. Remember, 
there are rights, there are contractual rights here about ownership. And um, unless there were findings that could support that, unless we would lose in court. But in any event, that wasn't my judgment or her judgment. That's the 32 owners. Uh, but I believe we acted appropriately in, in coming down with a very heavy fine. And we didn't mince words there. We made it clear that the Redskins were out of control and that had to change. And by the way, they have changed. Look at Julie Donaldson, the highest ranking female. Look at uh, Martin Mayhew. Uh, look at the president of the club. Um, they're, they are a, right now a model of diversity and social consciousness. But you say appropriate, and yet, isn't it true Beth Wilkinson uh, recommended that he be forced out as owner, and really at the end of the day, you find the team $10 million. Dan Snyder made it very clear through his attorneys that he wasn't specifically fined, and there was no suspension at all, and yet you consider that appropriate when her recommendation was for him to be forced out as owner. I, again, if I were Goodell, I would I would <laughs> quibble with the recommendation issue because she wasn't there. But I I agree. That's the reason why I thought Goodell couldn't get through this. Yeah, Ultimately, I mean, Goodell could answer everything else but that. But I got to tell you, they didn't agree to go forward without rehearsing that. I know a lot I, of times. But I there could be. I mean, this this is going to be a bit of a show, is it? Isn't it? I mean, there could be a lot of those. Isn't it true, Mister Goodell? And we might learn a lot about what came, what was in that Wilkinson investigation, and what was in that oral report, or at least you know if you if if you take whatever. Chris Mathori and Maloney and any of these other people ask Goodell, I mean, there could be several of those, isn't it true that Dan Snyder did this? Right. So the, that, that's the subset we want to focus on, which is Goodell can fall back easily on saying we were harsh on the club, that we gave Beth free reign, that we made a, a determination as to what form her report should be in, the question about what Beth actually said about Dan Snyder, does he answer it? Or is that one of those attorney clients? And it may be. It may be he says the specifics of it are attorney client. But I can tell you we acted uh, harshly um, given given the general nature of the report. So avoid all specifics. That may be their, their, their um, tactics. Remember, if he, if he answers... Um, whatever he answers, it's a valid answer. It's not like he's committing contempt of a subpoena right. or anything else. So if he if he he can declare that the specifics were supposed to be protected, that was something that was uh, agreed to by attorneys and clients and the NFL. And I can't get into specifics, but I can tell you, um, it was a serious report. We hammered the Redskins and we came down on a fine. As to the who shot Johns. The who and the Johns are all are all privileged, and I can't get there. That's one possibility. Another possibility is she didn't even get there because that wasn't her mandate. But they have an answer, Kevin. They would not let him go in, and I don't believe he's going in. Maybe that would be a great idea if the other owners sent him in to go bury Dan Snyder, but I, I don't think that's what we're going to see. It might be, but I don't think it. Right. Um but I, I'm just wondering if it could end up being a show for um, these uh, people on the House Oversight and Reform Committee. You know, one of the things I don't think I've asked you about um, in previous discussions is what Mark Maskey reported. It was on the heels of that USA Today report that said they're counting votes, remember? And then Maskey came out and said what the owners really want is they want a significant suspension of Dan Snyder, that that's something that they feel like Goodell didn't deliver on based on the Wilkinson findings. Could any of this tomorrow, not tomorrow, Wednesday, um, could any of that lead to ultimately, you know, and by the way, after the conclusion of the Mary Jo White investigation, could it, you know, could it lead to a reconsideration of the overall discipline of Snyder, which is now about a year ago? So it's possible, but the most likely scenario is we are counting noses. The magic number is 24 owners want them out. Once 24 owners want them out, they're, they're saying we're willing to put up with whatever lawsuit he brings against us 
we're ready to cross that line. The more likely result, therefore, is that whatever happens on Wednesday, however it goes, however it looks, convinces others of those 20, of those 32 that the line has been crossed, they have to have him go. So we might inch closer to him being gone. The suspension, given that it's Tanya, um, you know, that, that right. gives him the headache without much of the relief. Of He's back, yeah. right? It's not going anywhere. Yeah, I just remember, and I just pulled it up, the quote from Maskey's story uh, about a month ago um, from a an owner on the condition of anonymity. Quote, there's certainly concern, there's anger, but there's quite a difference between wishing he was gone and taking steps to force him out, closed quote. And, you know, all of the uh, other owners quoted were seem, seem to be disappointed with the way Goodell handled the first um, you know, fine and lack of a suspension, um, however it went. All right, um, different subject real quickly, and then I'll let you run. You know I always appreciate this. Uh, what's the, what's going to happen to Deshaun Watson here? What can the league do before any of these civil cases are, 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 are settled, are, are over with? So the, the civil cases, the league can choose to take them into account, but the league doesn't, he could win every civil case. He could have won not being indicted, and they still can suspend him for years. It's about their relationship with the Players Association. They can have a finding of wrongdoing. Uh, often on, let's say, domestic violence cases, the victim recants. The victim says, I don't want my husband to lose his job. Um, but that, that's not determinative. Uh, the league can do whatever they want. It seems to me that one of the major um, people who are going to get in trouble over the Dan Snyder investigation is Deshaun Watson, because the last thing Goodell wants to do now is go easy on Deshaun Watson and add to the fire. So I think it is fully in the NFL's interest. It's defensive of Goodell and the NFL that they hammer Watson. So, they, so that the narrative is not, this is just an old man's club protecting each other. Now, the difference will be yeah. they're going hard after the black young athlete and not after the old rich white owner. Right. But at least they're, 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 they're being respectful of women and that their players have to learn that just because you were a star in college doesn't give you a license to abuse women. Do you think the NFLPA is in a difficult situation because they will, you know, in most cases, they'll be required to defend him, um, to negotiate on his behalf in, in terms of whatever Goodell wants to to bring down. Goodell is not the final answer on this stuff anymore as he was prior to the last CBA. Is it a tough spot for the Players Association in, in this particular circumstance? I don't think so, because um, ultimately the Players Association are going to regard it as there was no violence. Uh, there's a lot of people, and it's in that setting, but we're not talking about violence. We're not talking about one Ray Rice. You know, we're not talking about um, someone being smacked in an elevator. Um, and so always, if you leave it to the association of of 32 rich white men being fueled by a woke economy, in their words, in their view. Uh, the, the black athlete's going to take it on the chin, and, and he didn't do – a lot of people have done a lot worse without getting a one-year suspension. Sure. So I think they can easily defend Deshaun Watson without looking like, uh, you know, how could you possibly say this? He was molesting children or something. Um, uh, I think it's their job. Uh, often – Often you think how could how could their lawyer a lawyer do that? But it's their job. Well, it's the job of the players' association to make sure that players are not scapegoated um, for leagues trying to protect themselves, and that's exactly how they're regarded. At the Howard Gutman on Twitter, his radio show on the Odyssey app, or if you're in Richmond, you can listen to it on 11:40 a.m. or 96.1 FM. As I See It airs Saturday mornings, 10 a.m. to 11 a.m., but you can listen to it whenever you want using uh, the Odyssey app. Uh, you're the best. I appreciate this. I'll talk to you soon. All the best, Kevin. Take good care. 
Always great to catch up with Howard. Uh, wanted to mention that after we recorded the interview with Howard, there was the news of another letter um, from Snyder's attorney back to Congress, but it really didn't change materially the conversation that Howard and I had. All right, we're done for the day. Thanks to Howard. Thanks to Denny McCarthy, who was on with us. Uh, I will be back tomorrow with Tommy. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.